Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast, a production of neonewstoday.com. I'm your host, Dylan Grabowski. This episode of the Smart Economy Podcast is part of a handful we will be releasing on gaming and blockchain. In this episode of the gaming series, I chat with Andrew Yakemichev, the community lead of Blockchain Cuties Universe. BCU is an NFT trading and collectible game that launched in 2018, which spans across multiple blockchains and is integrating a landmap style of gameplay. Its NFT-based characters have unique attributes, can be equipped with items, and can even be bred to create new characters. In this conversation, Andrew and I talk about the nuances between traditional and blockchain-based game development, the origin story of BCU, how the community shapes the project, how the blockchain gaming space has evolved over time, and much more. Just a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any tokens, that nothing should be taken as financial advice, and that the host or guests may hold tokens discussed in any given episode. With that said, I really enjoyed chatting with Andrew, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation too. Hey guys, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast. Today, I am speaking with Andrew Yakimochev, the community lead from Blockchain Cuties Universe. How are you doing today, Andrew? Hey, hey, Dylan. Glad to be here. Doing well, man. Thanks for joining. A lot of your community might know you online as Tenfi. So just to let people know that that's your handle if they want to know who we're chatting with. Yeah. So to kind of jump into this, what's your background and how did you stumble into the blockchain space? It kind of goes in like deep in the, into the roots, honestly, in a way, right? Uh, I think for a lot of people, it does. I started to play video games way back when, when I was a kid and uh, internet in the early 2000s was a neat place to be. We sort of see this with Web3 Web right now, right? So kind of similar vibes, but it was a little bit more 90s, I guess, <laughs> right? Stylistically. And uh, then I went to uh, study graphics design, obviously internet, graphics design, everything kind of goes in together. And uh, later on, I kind of met with Vladimir through our mutual friend way back in... I don't remember the year precisely, but like, like 2000s, like I think late 2000s, right? And uh, I did work with uh, one of their companies that he worked for at the time, helped them out, uh, helped their community lead to do some uh, streams and stuff. I was like very into Twitch very early on. So we did like shoutcasting and stuff like that just for fun. We went our separate ways. They did other things and I was... I was studying and uh, started working in like different jobs. I was a waiter. I, then I was a salesperson for a big uh, consolidator for airlines for like two years nearly. And uh, then when I quit that, I started looking for new for new work. And actually, Vladimir hit me up on Facebook and I was like, I have a project in the works. Would you like to join us? And like that spiraled into what we have now. It was four and a half years ago, roughly. And uh, yeah, kind of uh, went in and never looked back. I didn't know what, like, I knew about blockchain tech very, very little when I started. 
but I I did know what what Bitcoin is by you know word of mouth and stuff, but uh, in general, it was more about the game for me. It still is uh, is just the tech itself also brings a lot of value to me as a you know gamer in a way because you know that's the dream grinding gear doing stuff uh, in a game and then actually making a sale out of that if i want to and uh, this is kind of like the core value we have within the team as well uh, which is really cool so i guess that's how i got into this i wouldn't say it was a premeditated thing i just kind of in a way, fell into it, but at the same time, uh, it kind of fit the mold in a way. That's super cool. My journey into blockchain started with, you know, post-college. I got my first job working at a grocery store, and then I became a canvasser, which is a, a guy who stands on the street with a binder asking for donations to a charity. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was, it was a, a learning experience. And after a few years of that, went to, to grad school to become a city planner and did that for for about 5 years and then just got disenfranchised with the way that like government processes work and i cared so much about building urban cities for for people on a broad scale but things just took so long and when blockchain and crypto kind of hit my radar in 2017 it was um kind of like mind bending because here you can work on a global scale, but blockchain and crypto is such an innovative and new tech that it's all on the cutting edge and everything happens so quickly. So it was nice to have this kind of like macro impact, but not necessarily have to wait years and decades to see your efforts kind of come to fruition. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, and it sounds really cool that blockchain cuties aligned with your gaming expertise just wanting to be a gamer and to learn more about gaming. So it sounds like you kind of come from being a gamer, coming into the gaming aspect of this project. Like is Vladimir and a lot of the other people on the team. So Vladimir Tomko is the CEO of the project. Yeah. Do these folks come from like a gaming background? Well, Vladimir, he always was interested in making games from what I know, right? So way back when, uh, one of his like, I guess, uh, treasured memories in a way, right? Uh, he had like a Neverwinter server, like a shard running, which he kind of made from scratch, right? So lore, he built like locations and stuff like that. So like when he was still, I think it's in school. So yeah, it kind of like everything kind of built up to it in a way, right? So if, if you look at the background of uh, Vladimir, you look at the background for me, for example, I've been playing CS competitively. I have been playing Dota competitively. Cool. Like basically all of the Call of Duties up until Black Ops 4, <laughs> right? So uh, with friends, basically I have been always a hardcore gamer. I played everything that you've heard about pretty much except for like maybe world of warcraft just not my thing i'm more in a, in a run a runny shooty guy right but uh yeah uh it kind of was in the back of my mind you know wa wanting to make games wanting to make a uh, difference in that in this world in gaming aspect of the world right and vladimir have been uh, consciously doing it right right so he went in to making fan made modifications fan made content basically but in a much more 
Broadway, it's just not content, it's just like a game. And uh, it kind of spiraled out from there. He have been always analyzing games and stuff like that. I have been analyzing the games in a little bit of a different way. He went into more marketing, uh, meta building and stuff like that. I've been mostly tied into meta analysis for CS, for Dota. Obviously, you have to learn like metas and stuff like that. So it's been building up to blockchain cuties in a way. And uh, yeah, here we are, <laughs> basically. So the whole reason I want to ask is it sounds like the Blockchain Cuties team predominantly comes from kind of just like a passionate gamer sort of perspective and that maybe you guys hadn't worked in like any of the big gaming studios that put out like AAA games or anything like that. So something I noticed in the past year or so and Blockchain Cuties is going on its fifth year of existence. So I want to tie into this experience, but something with like Axie Infinity, this was the team's kind of first game. So they came from the blockchain space and made a game. Whereas you're starting to hear like from the other side of that perspective, like you want gaming studios to come into the blockchain space and integrate blockchain because there's going to be a very like stylistic difference in the way that the game is put forth. Yeah. And maybe like you, if you listen to a VC podcast, they say, oh, we want to go with a gaming studio who comes into blockchain because they know how to make a fun game. But I think on the opposite side, there can be an argument made for like a blockchain based team that makes a game. And I kind of put blockchain cuties in that camp because it seemed like when Blockchain Cuties first came out in 2018 and started integrating with Neo in 2019, that it was very blockchain-focused, and then the game kind of followed on that. So maybe just like philosophically speaking, from your perspective and from the insight you've gained over the past four years at Blockchain Cuties, what kind of team makes a good blockchain-based game? Is it a gaming studio team that came into blockchain or could it be like a team that worked on a blockchain project and then chooses to make their first game? Well, that's a really good question, honestly, because within the last year alone, I personally did a lot of digging on that, like soul searching on that aspect, right? Because um, blockchain gaming is like a fairly new concept as a whole, right? And uh, I do believe that uh, it's kind of a mix of both worlds, right? You have to make a fun game for people to play it. But at the same time, if you make a blockchain game, you have to take in the economy into consideration because the general rules that apply to, say, World of Warcraft and other games like that, they break the economy if you like attach blockchain economy into it. So this is what we did uh, on our end as well. There needs to be a limitation, right? There are limitations uh, in blockchain cuties that we introduced over the years. Like, uh, for example, we added personal items, for example, that are sort of like soul-bound items, right? But at the same time, we give opportunity to players to actually, you know, unbind those items and sell them on the market anyways. But it's kind of the restriction through game design has to be made, which we did uh, with personal items. So uh, during seasons, for example, people get items, they are personal, but they can uh, use crafting system to unbind them and sell them on the market to other players uh, if they wish to. This kind of uh, removes the aspect of like botting and stuff like that, because as we all know, there is this section of uh, the 
quote unquote player base, quote unquote in this case specifically, that just make hundreds of accounts and try to bot uh, a project, try to milk it for everything it gets, and then just leave. And uh, to sustain, there has to be precautions taken for that. And the regular gaming world doesn't necessarily agree with that because they don't care about that aspect usually. And the blockchain aspect kind of lives on that in a way, right? There has to be sustainability in the economic cycles in the game. Unlike, wow, even though wow, if you look at it, uh, let's say 10 years ago, and now the inflation is still there, right? The gold is not as powerful as it was when the game started, but it's less impactful. One of the most important things that we learned over the years is that when a blockchain game is being adjusted, right? So like you get feedback, you see problems, you have to fix those problems, you kind of change game design, you change a little bit of balance. That in a normal game is fine, right? It's not as painful. You just get used to it. With blockchain games, it's a little bit more complicated than that because people spend money on like maybe buying the item, buying a character, buying crafting slots to craft the specific items uh, because they needed them to be done in time and stuff like that. So those things come into play and they hurt like 10 times more for the players than they do in regular games, which is a really, really important aspect, I think. Yeah. Do you think that's because there is that financial and economic model? Like if I want to participate in a season or go on a raid right now, I have to drop like, I don't know, X amount of gas to purchase a character that can do that. Or I need to spend my time grinding to get that character up to snuff to be able to participate. Well, yeah, that's, that's sort of how it goes, right? That's how the world works in a way, right? Uh, you either spend more money or you spend more time. That's the general consensus, consensus of uh, any economy, really. Uh, so in our game, that's very similar. So you can start with nothing and grind, 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 get items, sell them, get more cuties from like the revenue that you get. Uh, we had a few players that did that. It takes a little bit of time, but you can actually get pretty strong accounts with that. So that's pretty cool, I think. And uh, not a lot of games can sustain within that paradigm as well, which I think is something that people should start thinking about when they start to make the game, right? Uh, We stepped on many, many rakes as we went on, as we say, right? There's been, obviously, as with any game, there are always problems that you have to solve. And uh, we do pretty much that every every single day. Something that I think is really cool is uh, you yourself and Blockchain Cuties are now OGs in the blockchain and crypto space. So over your four years at the project, and you've almost been with Blockchain Cuties since the inception. I noticed that it was launched or founded in December 2017. And in 2018, you started working for the project. Basically, how it went is like the first line of code was drawn in uh, December uh, 2017 uh, when the whole idea kind of took place. Uh, so the development started, the beta launched on April 26th of uh, 2018. On May 26th, I came into the office, basically. About a month after the game kind of launched, I joined in with the team and uh, kind of never looked back. Uh, I mean, as an experience... Not a lot of people would uh, 
think it's a lot of fun, but that's why we're here kind of in a way, right? You don't get onto the bleeding edge of tech, right? And uh, into a new part of, you know, gaming and uh, tech without, you know, sleepless nights and stuff like that. So uh, the team has been working nights, uh, even weeks sometimes <laughs> with barely any sleep. And uh, for me personally, right, it's kind of fun. I like doing that. I'm a night owl myself and uh, going for like three days without sleep, working and doing some something really cool is something that I do like. Obviously, in due time, uh, the age will, will take its uh, <laughs> toll probably, but uh, hey, we don't live forever, right? Yeah, I mean... I often say that one of the things I liked most about the urban planning field was actually like studying use cases and studying examples in school. So like looking back fondly on any urban planning stuff, it was going to a coffee shop and researching papers and writing. And now in, in the role I have with uh, Neo News Today, I feel like I'm researching every day. So having to learn everything because it is so cutting edge is also, you know, the sleepless nights and the long time spent grokking something that's also very rewarding. Yeah. You, you kind of have this like uh, in the back of your head, oh man, I wish I could take a nap right now, but I have to do this. You know, this sucks and all that. You, you, you kind of have this like grumpy on the side sometimes, but then when you're done with the task, you're done with the research or you're done with the, like something specific that you have been, have been doing for a bit with gritted teeth, you finished it just barely because it's been a long time coming. It feels so good. I don't know. I haven't felt something in this way uh, when working other jobs. Yeah. It's a very different uh, way of how like you reward yourself in a way. I know it, it, it can sound kind of like weird, <laughs> right? But uh, I think a lot of developers have this mindset where they, they want to do something specific. And uh, when they do it, they're like, okay, this was worth it. That's great. <laughs> kind of building on your experience, looking over the past four years, what are some interesting or unique ways that NFTs have evolved or maybe just gaming in the blockchain space in general? Well, uh, first and foremost, uh, a lot of things have happened over the, the, the four years, right? So in 2018, there was like the CryptoKitties, us, and uh, Axie. Pretty much, and uh, there have been a few projects here and there that were uh, that had pretty good ideas as well. But th there are very many different variables in place. So for some, it didn't work out. For some, it's uh, they didn't figure out something in, in time or something like that. So obviously, it's not an easy task to kind of, kind of get the product up the ground in a niche market as it is. So it's basically a niche within a niche. Because uh, a lot of people that are into blockchain are more into like financial aspect of it, not necessarily like the fun aspect of it. One problematic thing that happened early was like those pyramid farms and what have you, right? There were a lot of things that kind of muddied the water. And uh, during 2019, it was a little bit less problematic, let's say, because uh, a lot of people kind of figure out that, you know, those are scams pretty much. Uh, the hot potato games, the, the pyramid games. Obviously, for a lot of people, they look at it and like, yeah, no, I'm not going to participate in that. At the same time, some people looked at it, it was like, 
Yeah, but I can manipulate it, right? So people had this, like, uh, I can game the system aspect of it to their uh, thought process. And a lot of money was lost, pretty much. (laughs) And uh, 2019 was a little bit more chill in that regard. A lot of projects came out of the woodworks. A lot of news happened, like Axies started to do a lot of cool stuff. The Dapper Labs have been working on their cheese wizards, I believe. There was a lot of like, I don't want to say noise specifically, but there was a lot of activity going on. I think that's the proper word for it. It wasn't like noise. It was... Frothiness. Frothiness, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it was like uh, quite a bit of pretty good activity comparing to 2018 where a lot of people got scammed. But, uh, you know, scammers come out of the woodworks pretty fast after they just go back, rethink their approach and just jump in. So we had like these, we still have these NFT collections that are pretty much nothing, right? Uh, It's just, hey, look, a picture, which kind of baffled me in a lot of ways because uh, when we talked about our game, we always put utility and, uh, you know, game aspects in the forefront of it because while, yeah, cool picture, but what can you do with it? Like, that's one of the main questions that I think everyone should be asking because unless uh, that NFT does anything, it's kind of a useless piece of code, honestly speaking. If you can utilize it in the game in some way, shape, or form, maybe it's like a clan invite. It can be well, like basically anything game-related even, right? It not, doesn't necessarily have to be like a fully-fledged utility token. Like for us, it is like cuties are quite robust in terms of what they can do as an NFT. But uh, a lot of people just put in a picture, slap on a picture on it and say it's gold, which is the fool's gold, I think. The most important takeaway, I think, is uh, you have to ask questions about the projects. Like, what does it do? Can I do stuff with it within the ecosystem? Can I do stuff outside of the ecosystem? Like, these questions do matter. If I were to kind of derive what you just said, is it sounds like utility has kind of grown for what NFTs can do over the past four years, but we still kind of have this boom-bust cycle where by scammers might come in and out and take advantage of people based off of the hype surrounding the technology at the time. Well, yeah, yeah. I I mean, look at how blockchain and crypto stuff kind of evolved within like four years, right? When I came into it, it was uh, kind of looked at as shady because all of the stories with the dark and the Silk Road stuff, you know, all of that kind of made the news everywhere europe us whichever like you, you saw it online all the time and people kind of looked in, at uh, bitcoin and crypto stuff as shady instead of a piece of technology that was misused i was one of those people before i joined the team as well i was like i don't know man it looks kind of shady to me everything i read is kind of suspect you know but when i joined the team i started to learn obviously the learning curve is quite steep still even though there's a lot of headway made within the last four years alone, it's still a big learning curve, especially when you start with one blockchain, then you realize there's more and there's like every single blockchain works differently. It's kind of nuts, right? But at the same time, it's a lot of fun when when you kind of figure out things and how they work, what are the philosophies that are behind those blockchains from the dev teams, what they're trying to do with it is uh, really cool. 
And a lot of people ju- just don't go past that, sadly. Not because they're like one way or another. They just don't need to. They don't have to. And uh, it's a lot of information in the first place. So if I wasn't doing this for work, maybe I wouldn't even be this educated on blockchain as well. Gotcha. But it is worth it. Honestly, it is worth it in a lot of ways. So something that I kind of want to pull your brain on is what are the interesting game mechanics that blockchain cuties offers through NFTs and NFT-based characters? All right. So uh, if we talk about like the cuties as NFTs, first and foremost, I think uh, we should talk about Genome. Like CryptoKitties had Genome. We have a very similar thing. That's kind of the play from CryptoKitties in the first place. That it was a great idea from Dapper Labs. And uh, we kind of played off of that uh, with uh, the breeding mechanic, right? You can make cuties, you can make tribute cuties, which are, you know, special kinds of uh, cuties. We have unique cuties that usually we sell or you can get uh, during events. And uh, within that genome, we added stats for attributes. Like when you breed a cutie, you get like a line of attributes. And all these attributes give stats or like buffs or debuffs and stuff like that. So you can get elements, you can get whichever stats uh, the cutie can have. So there are, I call them uh, specialist cuties, right? So for example, we have a list of adventures that you can send your cuties to. And all of these adventures are element-based, right? So if you have the element, it kind of gives you a buff. The thing with that is, you can actually breed like stronger element cuties if you know what you're doing. And we do have like a section of our community who are kind of tribute hunters or like genome aficionados, if you want to say that. And they kind of figure out better compositions for breeding pairs and uh, figure out best case scenario genomes. And uh, there have been quite a few earth bears. There have been like energy hedgehogs. So each cutie type has its own strengths and people figured them out and kind of started like building meta builds, which is really cool. Going further from that, we want to extrapolate from that, right? We initially started adventures as a little addition to the game, but it kind of like grew in its own right. Like people started playing them more. They started strategizing, kind of liking it. So we kind of went into developing it more. So stats came out, came about, we added uh, elements, we added uh, drop pools now. Uh, previously, it was uh, somewhat of a bottomless pit that you can farm, but now it's a little bit more balanced in a way that, uh, you know, there is a limit, like a finite amount of items within a time frame. So you can't just like everyone send in like cuties and get gear anymore. There are some fluctuations of uh, loot and stuff like that. So uh, additionally, you can go to raids. So battles are like kind of the cornerstone of the game. First of all, adventures, you go to adventures, you farm gear, you find potions and stuff like that uh, within those adventures if you win. If you go to raids, also you find the raid boss, do damage, and based on that damage, you get into the leaderboard and uh, get prizes based off your damage done within the same raid. There are like different types of uh, raid bosses as well. Uh, the, the newest one with like HP-based mechanic, it's kind of a hybrid from what we did before, uh, which was um, basically a win-lose ratio for the community. Like the the the, the first raid boss was uh, thought to be like if fifty-one percent of 
players win their battles, everyone gets prizes. If they send in garbage just to like send in garbage just to participate, obviously that's going to be outweighing the wins that are you know more, more meticulous and kind of balance it out with the community. Like the community has the steering wheel here. That's kind of the approach we always went in with a lot of mechanics. Obviously, there are drawbacks uh, to giving the, the steering wheel to the community. Obviously, there are people that want more and more and more. There are people that just want their own way and stuff like that. So, But that's the beauty of it, of the like community-driven development. You talk to people all the time, and then you figure out things, which is really cool. Awesome. So I'm really glad that you touched upon the community because for kind of these blockchain-based games to get off the ground, there needs to be an active and engaged community. And, you know, being in the space for four years, you've probably had the chance to kind of like watch your community start off slow and then kind of gain traction. What's that been like over the past four years? What was your community engagement like in 2018 and 2019? And what's it like today? And what is the real power that the community actually does have in shaping the direction of blockchain cuties? All right, let's start with, with the beginning, as you said, right? So uh, initially, when we just started, obviously, the OGs of the community are the ones that join in just to check it out. Like they, They're about the fun of it, like specifically only about the fun of it. They want to take a check out the tech how it works as a game and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, our artwork have been always quite detailed comparing to a lot of uh, other projects. And uh, I think that's one of our kind of uh, strong suits. And uh, the artwork just gets more and more and more and more complex and more pretty. And like, I always gush about like our artists doing like their best work every single event. Uh, and they just don't stop like developing as uh, professionals, which is really, really cool. Like if you look at the cuties that we released in 2018 and now those are drastically different, like not approaches, but like the styles, even though the artists are pretty much the same. It's just the style gets developed as you go along. There's more techniques developed and stuff like that, which is really, really cool. And uh, the style is kind of the same, like, you know, the just like chibi kind of style, like big, bigger head, smaller torso, kind of cartoonish and all that. But at the same time, there's much more detail, much more depth to the artwork right now. And I think that's uh, one of the attractions for the game, for like the initial impulse, I guess, to kind of check it out for a lot of people. And um, if we were talking about the 2018 community, which was just 20 to like 100 people, which is not that small already, but considering the numbers it's it's quite a bit smaller but it was a like it is a tightly knit community uh there's people helping out each other even though they just met here there are like alliances made and stuff like that there have been uh drama as well obviously looking back on it like when when it happened uh, like i was super stressed i didn't know what to do with it like how to you know help out there so everyone has a fun time. Now it's a little bit different. It's definitely different. We still have quite a few, uh, you know, OGs that started in 2018 still, which I do think is one of the, like, something to be proud about for the team, right? That the community stays. 
a lot of blockchain games and uh, like blockchain based communities come and go. People move on, people figure out some cool stuff, uh, maybe forget about their previous communities that they were a part of, or kind of get, like you said, disenfranchised with whatever project they have been working at. Maybe they talked to like community mods, they talked to the people in the team, they just didn't like them and just decided to leave. Like there's many different reasons why people can jump ship. And uh, we have quite a lot of uh, people still in the community that were joining in in 2018 and have became great advocates for what we do. When Tron hit, uh, one of our players, Paul, uh, have been going off. Like He helped people get onboarded with Tron. He believed in Tron from the beginning and had a lot of fun with it. He taught people how to do stuff, showed them how to train, gave them cuties and stuff like that. It was nuts. But uh, yeah, the community uh, now is slightly different. The people are there still. I mean, uh, those OGs are still there. But at the same time, a lot of new faces came in. So like the whole mode kind of shifts back and forth in a lot of ways, which is good. You know, you don't want to get everything stale, right? So this is a protocol agnostic podcast, but I myself have been covering Neo since 2018. So I can completely relate to what it's like to see some OGs who have stuck around, you know, the same Twitter handles, the same Discord handles that have been talking the yeah. over the years. And then as time kind of goes on, you lose some of them. Of course, with a with a cryptocurrency like Neo, you can lose them because the price drops rapidly, just like with almost every other crypto out there that can happen. And you just lose people because this happened to their speculative investment that they made. And now they've attached a negative emotion to this thing that happens in such a new speculative market. Yeah, for sure. But then you also have these new folks that are coming in and they bring a new level of passion. And they also don't have that kind of, I don't want to call it baggage of history, but they don't have these memories. And some of them might been might have been bad. Like my NFT got frozen when I was trying to move it from chain to chain or something like that. And so they just don't have that bad taste in their mouth. Well, I guess, yeah. But at the same time, it's, it kind of hinders on uh, the people who run the project as well, right? So what we do is we run, like, basically, I'm a community lead and I help out with uh, tech support all the time, right? If something is wrong, uh, people write to our like general chats and uh, we don't DM ourselves, you know, the rule basically, because people like to DM uh, like, hi, I am support. Here is link. <laughs> you click link and it's going to be great. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, bro. Trust me. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. That That's like, this is how it works. Like, bro, tr- trust me. It is absurd, right? And uh, we started to do this uh, as a procedure in, on our end, as well as that uh, people ask questions about like tech support and stuff like that. In general chat, we try to help out. If there's any like more sensitive details that are being discussed, some people don't like to share their public wallets even, right? So I usually write like, DM me your issue, like with more details, I'll try to figure it out and uh, help you out. And uh, that kind of helps along with the the community building as well, I think, where the community knows that if they have a problem, they can go to the developers and ask questions and they will 
try their best to help out. Obviously, it takes time, it takes energy, and uh, obviously, I could be doing different things, but I do think that's one of the vital things that a lot of AAA companies, if, if we circle back to the uh, question that you had before, how AAA companies do it, they automate everything, right? So they, they kind of corporatize it which I understand why it's done because, you know, there's so many people that you can't handle, right? Uh, but at the same time, if there's even a fraction of that that you can do live as you go through your day, uh, helping like one or two people even can make a huge difference, right? They can become your advocates. They can become your OGs that will stick with you for years to come because they know they can lean on you if they have issues. And, uh, that is uh, an important bond, I think. As a community, you have to kind of nurture the community members uh, and let them know that you're there, good or bad. Like they can sling mod at you, they can scream at you for like whatever you did. Like there, there are obviously things that go on through development. Like you develop an idea, you push that idea into the community, and they're like, nah, that's bad. And like sometimes people like very, very heavily lean into like letting you know you're wrong, but you don't need to take it personally. That's one of the most important things. The community lets you know what they, if they like viciously tell you what they know, and I mean it in a good way, they can go super heavy on you you know, calling your names, calling you stupid and whatever. That means they like what you're, you have been doing so far and they care for the future. That is a very important aspect of it. A lot of people kind of brush it off. Within like 2019, 2020, we had quite a bit of a rough patch uh, in a lot of like development aspects for like there were botting attempts. There were, there were quite a few things that happened that were not, let's say, great to go through. But at the same time, those are learning opportunities that uh, kind of made us what we are today in a lot of ways. Like the personal items came out from that. There have been seasons uh, started and reworked into what they are now. We started to kind of world build. Like We added lore into the, the mix. We started to write different characters and stuff like that. And people like that. But in game mechanics, it's a little bit more complex due to the blockchain nature, so you have to like balance it out. And uh, this is where people start to kind of bump heads with the developers because they see it the uh, one way, we see it the other way. And through that conversation, we figure out things. That is uh, one important thing that uh, I, I think a lot of developers don't do. Even though they say they do, it's not exactly that. I hope that makes sense. It's kind of a like sort of a tangent in a way here, but uh, I hope you understand what I mean. No, I get it. I've I I have witnessed several NFT projects where maybe development isn't occurring as fast as people would like, or communication patterns aren't as strong as people would like. And when you combine emotions and basically money, you can get some strong reactions from people because there's such an emotional attachment to an investment and you have such a direct relationship with the developers that you can just yell at them and say, hey, devs, do something. Now, I think something that keeps me humble that I try to remember when I might have an interaction with someone that kind of sets my temper off or maybe rubs me the wrong way. Most of the world doesn't speak English and a lot of 
online communication is in English. Oh, yeah. So this is somebody's second language and... If not third. Or third or fourth even. And so for a native English speaker who kind of gets rubbed the wrong way, I have to constantly remind myself that this just might be an error in communication. And maybe I should take a step back and try to understand the content of what the comment is rather than like paying attention to the words that might have been used improperly. Or maybe they were a little too angry and the person who made the comment didn't realize the impact of that word because this is their X language. Yeah. So that's something that I try and, and take into consideration myself. Kind of wrapping up because I know it's getting late in your neck of the woods. Um, I want to talk about what the next steps are for blockchain cuties. Now, you've talked about iterating off of experience, adding items, adding adventures, all of this you've learned. And I've noticed that something next on the roadmap is this land-based sort of wartime game that's coming out. So could you tell me a little bit more about Wars of Cutie Lands, how lands will be represented as NFTs and just kind of what the goal is for this next iteration of blockchain cuties. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, well, uh, we're lands have been in development for quite a bit, right? So, and uh, making uh, a grand strategy, I believe it's called, with a constantly updated map. For example, if you played Travian or something of that nature, it's kind of similar for that. I guess there's a lot of mobile games that are pretty similar to that as well. But uh, with blockchain, it is a little bit different, right? So obviously there are islands that we're, we have been selling depending on the island. I think all of the islands are kind of outside of the like general map, which is, I think was 2 million cells. So th- there's a huge world map that we've drawn up. If, if you dig a little bit, I think you will be able to find it on our Twitter I can take a look a little bit later to share it with you if you want. So basically, there's a huge map with different like parts of the world, and uh, obviously, there's going to be different resources and stuff like that within like that map. The blockchain aspect comes in with the islands and uh, the cuties. So the cuties are going to be the war power in a way. So you will be able to kind of transfer your cuties from like adventurers to uh, military, pretty much. And uh, utilize your cuties in buildings as well. Uh, that's one of the plans for the future, where these cuties will be able to kind of like mine things, craft things. Uh, you know the usual, me- like it's not a usual mechanic. Uh, it's just like we we talked about it for like a few years already. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, stuff going on with it, and uh, it kind of became the norm in a way. One of the most important things will be the island itself, where you craft your armor, you gear up your soldiers, you get generals, you get artifacts for those generals that give buffs and stuff like that. But those artifacts are going to be on the map. So people will have to fight for them. It, it's hard to kind of like explain everything in like a few sentences. I'll try my best to kind of summarize this. Uh, I, I know I went many different ways right now with the previous sentences. So it's a grand strategy game, right? Uh, where cuties are soldiers. You have generals that lead them. Uh, you'll have armies. Obviously, the armies are going to be like dependent on uh, the amount of time you put into your account. So there's going to be upgrades and stuff like that going on with that. There's going to be a lot of events popping up on the map. 
And one of the most important things is that depending on your blockchain for the island, you'll be fighting for that kingdom. This is where it gets like meta, right? You have to get territory. That's awesome. And uh, whichever kingdom is going to be more powerful depends on the players entirely, right? So uh, the developers give you the sandbox and just let you do whatever you want with it within its realm. And uh, I think there's going to be a lot of like power struggles and stuff like that uh, going on. There's going to be like wall builds where people just put in like smaller armies across like a specific border, for example, as they do in like other games. Uh, There's many different moves that people do uh, on those like grand strategy games. And uh, all of that is going to be like blockchain reliant as well uh so you can use nfts you can use your islands to level up your buildings that you build on those islands and stuff like that one important uh, differentiation within the islands is that every island up until the founder lands are going to be outside of the map so you kind of like ship your army onto the land and kind of build there right uh but your hq is off the map but you still can get attacked and all that like the usual but at the same time the founder lands are going to be actually on the map, right? So there's going to be capitals for the kingdoms and those who got the founder lands will be able to show off in a way. So their their cities are going to be available on the map right away for everyone to see. And uh, obviously for some kingdoms that may be less populated or less powerful, the territory can just shrink up to that capital. That's the only thing that cannot be captured. But quite a lot of territory can be taken away. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the community is going to rally into like these uh, blockchain clubs in a way, <laughs> like alliances yeah, to, uh, to fight for territory and uh, power. Uh, there's a lot of politics that's going to be done over blockchain as well. We have BCUG, which is a governance token. We use it for like new idea votes right now. And uh, there are some utility that comes into the game already, but uh, the the main event is going to be in War of Feelands where people will vote for their kings of the kingdom and stuff like that. Basically, there's going to be like policies that gives buffs, debuffs and stuff like that. So it's going to be a huge undertaking for for players in a way. But at the same time, when they learn it, it's going to be a lot of fun, I think. That sounds really cool that you're going to have factions based off of what chain people are using. And um, also a really cool way that it sounds like the BCUG token is going to be used for kind of like governance DAO-like purposes. Do you notice a specific chain that most of your users are using? For about two years since we uh, added it in the end of 2018, Tron was very, very popular, right? So it was very popular because it was very cost-effective. A lot of people got into it. They figured it out. Obviously, in the last year, they did some changes to how they work and price ranges and all that. But at the same time, quite a lot of people went with Tron, but I do think there's like, until it's uh, out there and we see the data, I can't really say. There, there might be some people that like see the launch and they're like, all right, I'm, I'm getting this, uh, like an island of this blockchain and I'm inviting my friends and we're going to kick butt. <laughs> you know, like there, there's definitely going to be people like that. And uh, I'm really excited to see how the kingdoms are going to be fighting for power. And uh, it's going to be really cool to see. Yeah, that's going to be fun to follow along. And if you ever have uh, any kind of like 
Neo-specific news or information, I would love to cover it for Neo News Today. Yeah, sure. But other than that, as a blockchain enthusiast, I look forward to seeing just kind of how that plays out moving forward. So if anyone wants to get involved in blockchain cuties or buy a blockchain cutie or help the team develop the game or the project, what's the best way that folks can get involved or get connected with Blockchain Cuties Universe? Well, obviously, we, you can join in uh, the discussion on our Telegram. It's been the, the main hub for us uh, for most of the time. We do have a Discord as well, where people can uh, drop in, so suggest ideas and stuff like that. Obviously, they can ping me on Telegram, Discord, Twitter, whichever suits them. We do have a Twitter as well, pretty active. And uh, basically, any social network that you can find us on, you can pretty much like hit us up and like let us know what you think and uh, ask questions and stuff like that. But like best course of action would be Telegram and Discord. Those are the most active channels in terms of like live communication, let's say. Awesome. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming to join the Smart Economy podcast. It was really cool to pick your brain on blockchain cuties. We've been covering the project since 2019. And I just love chatting with OG teams who have continued to build through multiple boom-bust cycles. So again, I want to thank you so much for coming to join and um, definitely looking forward to catching up in the future and following along with all the progress that Blockchain Cuties is making. Hell yeah, man. Thank you for having me. Honestly, uh, it was a lot of fun. I can gush about our projects for, for quite a long time and uh, about the tech. So uh, always happy to join in. Totally. Well, looking forward to uh, potentially having you come join the pod again at some point in the future. And until then, have a good one. Hey, man. Thanks. Later. Cheers. Well, what did you think of that conversation? I thought it was really interesting to hear more about the differences between the development and economic models of traditional games versus blockchain-based games. It was also really exciting to learn more about the different types of Blockchain Cuties universe players and how token economic incentives align with their style of gameplay. And I'm looking forward to seeing the blockchain network-based factions that will arise in the forthcoming Wars of Cutie Lands game. On that note, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Smart Economy podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support the show, please keep Neo News Today in mind when voting for your Neo Council representative as part of Neo's governance process. We appreciate you and look forward to catching you next time.